Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. So they're not here. It looks like they're not here. Okay, uh, welcome to the first ever episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And if you know who I am, you know that my name is not Rick or Nick. Uh, nor this mine. Is, nor his. Uh, his name is not Rick or Nick either. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And, and we are filling in, kind of just getting thrown in here to the deep end of the kiddie pool. Yeah, Rick and Nick, uh, they were supposed to come in and record the pod today. We were going to help them out a little bit with making this thing go. And they just have not shown up. And Dave and I just turned to each other and said, I think we need to take on this first episode ourselves. So... How about that, Dave? The title people of this podcast aren't even here, and you and I are the ones who are going to have to take this on today. And Hoove and I apologize. It's like being hyped, filet mignon, bacon wrapped, with a side of potatoes au gratin. See, and instead, you're getting a, a, a combo meal number seven, Hoove and Dave. Basically. Filling in to do the show. So we're sorry. We really are. We but really are. It was time to record this thing. Rick and Nick are AWOL. And hey, Hoove, Dave, you guys know movies? Get in there and record. We got to put this thing up today. That's what the boss has told us anyway. Yeah, so this is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, hosted by Dave Brooks and Joel Hoover. So thank you for coming along today. We're really excited about this podcast. We've been helping put this together and get this this plan in motion for a couple of weeks now of trying to get a movie pod put together. Um, thanks to Paul Bunyan Broadcasting for giving us the opportunity to be able to make a podcast related to movies because we are very big movie people, and we are very excited to share some of our thoughts on the movie industry, on movies that are current, and just some general topics on movies in general and the way that they've changed, because we have a lot of good ideas on where this pod will go, and most importantly, we want it to be a pod that you can enjoy coming to for general movie talk. And the nice thing about it is, we're not experts any more than anybody else. Not that we've never a seen movies or even been where movies have been filmed or so on and so forth we're talking about it just sitting in the living room sitting in the theater wherever watching movies and love the movies and so we come from a background just like everybody else so and the nice thing is we came in here on the to-do list and rick and nick had left it behind topic number one for episode number one for the season launch for the show launch what makes a good movie what makes for a good movie or what's right what makes a movie become a bad movie I think you and I could lead, lend some credence to this. I think we could, and it, it's a good place, I think, for this podcast to start and with getting its foundation put in place of looking at, all right, let's break down what makes a good movie and the different perspectives that go into that. A disclaimer for the podcast moving forward, yeah, we are not able to catch every movie that is in theaters currently. We're not like most critics who they are able to just take in a a wealth of, of films at, at a given time where they can pretty much go see just about everything we are not we're probably like a lot of you where we will catch a movie on occasion if we're able to go we have our own specific tastes which you will get to learn about throughout the course of this episode um and and we 
try to bring that to the table as best we can with what we talk about here and with the movies that we go see. So don't expect us to talk about every single movie that's in theaters, but we will touch on movies probably this podcast will touch on some of the big ones that are in theaters at a given time every now and then. Well, and the other thing to talk about is there will be spoilers within. So There will. When we're talking about Titanic, we'll probably mention that the boat sinks. If we're talking about usual suspects. Good thing that's a historical thing, too. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I knew people that got mad at me when I, oh, it was sad when the boat sunk. The boat sunk? It's called Titanic. Yes. Not the alternate history. Right. It's, you know, so there will be spoilers within. So if we're talking about uh, a movie that is out in theaters or has been recently out in theaters, we will spoil it because that's what we're here to talk about. I was curious what you were going to say about the usual suspects. Oh, that uh, 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 Kaiser Soze is actually the guy with the limp, you know. That's so spoiler. I already told already told you there would be spoilers. You never right. saw it coming. So that's what we're going to be talking about, but even more so than current movies. Movies go way 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 back to the silent film. So there's plenty to talk about. Anyone right. with a Netflix account knows you get some currents and a lot of movies from way back when. So there is no shortage of what we can talk on. And as we go, we'll come up with a special theme for a particular week. Let's talk a particular movie or genre yeah. or idea. Uh, but this one will be kind of a general good place to launch from. What makes movies good or what makes movies bad? And really, when it comes down to this question, I, I think it's important to begin with the fact that genres and, and respective movies are going to be different in their perception based on the audience that, that that movie is targeted toward, especially these days. These days, I think targeting an audience happens so much more frequently with the movies than they did in the past. I, I think that that's always kind of been a part of it. I think it's even more targeted nowadays because movie producers and, and people who work in the industry, they have access to that kind of demographic information that, that they've never had before. So whereas one person who's listening might be so inclined to one particular movie, another person is really inclined to another one. And yet sometimes there are particular strands that you can connect between one type of movie and another as far as those are pretty good movies, and these are characteristics that each of them had that they did well. Yeah, I think there's some movies also that you can take the same movie, make a few minor differences, and it can be sci-fi, or it can be horror, or it can be comedy, depending on how you adjust. Not radically even, shift some of the pieces around, and if you get a movie that's that layered and that textured, that only a minor tweak really could could Forrest Gump be a sci-fi movie if you set it on a on an alien world? Possibly, you know. It's uh, it'd be, be a totally different movie. Totally if you different did, movie, but... yeah. But it'd be the same thing. Wait a minute, you're describing Forrest Gump. That's the one with the special. No, no, this is the one with the guy on Neptune running around or whatever. You know, so there's something fun to be said about that too. If you get a really good story, it can really come down as anything depending on how you do it. Yeah, and when it comes to movies, I, I'm glad you mentioned layers, Dave, because I think story is still very much the centerpiece of, okay, if we're going to start with looking at what makes a movie good or bad, story is really where it begins. How well layered is your story? Are you dropping us into the world of the story, whether it is a real-life kind of comparison or a type of sci-fi one where we are being taken to a completely different place in time? Are we going back in time with this movie? Are we going to an idealistic kind of world or maybe one that is totally gone wrong? Are you dropping us into the world of the story, and do we have enough details and context and information 
to get ourselves immersed in that particular story? And then are you able to string the pieces of that story together to make it into something that is really compelling and something that leaves you that that leaves you wanting more maybe afterward that leaves you saying okay that was that was just enough or that was really good whether it's more or just enough does it leave you with that thought and do the characters wrap you up and then compel you as well you know i'll give you two points on what you were bringing up about story i, I agree completely story is where it's at um there have been some fantastic movies that that really how do you how do you put this the story was clearly paramount, and that's fantastic. But I think there's too many movies where let's do a movie like this. Okay, what's it about? We'll figure that out. But let's do this. Captain. They Tomorrow- come up with just a, a very specific idea, and then they don't think much about the story. Yeah, uh, a good example was Captain Fan- uh, Captain uh, Tomorrow in the, in the World of Tomorrow, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, yeah. uh, Jude Law and uh, Angelina Jolie. Beautiful movie. It was very stylistically done, and at the time when it came out, it really looked like nothing else had ever looked before, and you could argue since. So I think that that was the idea going into it. I want to make a movie that looks like this, and I think they kind of just forgot the story because it just it wasn't there, in my opinion. It was a beautiful movie. Um, I could tell that it was a labor of love, but they just kind of forgot about the story. But then there's what kind of story are you going to have? And I'll use Star Wars as an example because you got the poster up behind you, so it's got me thinking. So you go into uh, talking about layers in the story. Take the original Star Wars, A New Hope. You knew that it was episode four. But at the time when the movie came out, there was no episodes one, two, or three, or Rogue One. There, there weren't even really plans to do that very much no. at the time, right? There was a background story that, if you believe in which lore you listen to, George Lucas had come up with this giant, giant outline and then took the middle part because he said, A, it was the most commercial, and B, it was the easiest to tell. So you get into this, A, you have a lot of backstory, but you don't really know exactly what it is. But B, you have a very good story that's emotionally driven. It's character driven, not plot driven. You, When Obi-Wan gets struck down, you, no, you loved him. You didn't want to see that. So then they get around to doing the prequel movies, episodes one through three. Those were very much plot-driven because you knew that the pieces had to end up at a certain point on the board in such a way to lead into the original. So really what those movies were about wasn't so much the emotional-driven. We knew what was going to happen in a lot of ways. So you didn't cry so much when Padme dies at the end of Episode 3 because she wasn't in Episode 4. You know, so where clearly she didn't make it, like half the cast didn't make it. It was just moving the pieces around so they'd be where they were supposed to be plot-driven versus emotionally driven, but then you could take a look at Rogue One that just came out, right? and that is very much an emotionally driven story. Even though none of those characters really show up anywhere else in Star Wars, you pretty much know this is going to be a suicide mission, isn't it? Or they're going to just go off into the sunset, you've earned your retirement, now go off and Yeah, this is essentially Star Wars version of the Dirty Dozen is what you're thinking coming in. So it was emotionally driven story. You found yourself, oh, when the first one bites the dust, you're like, oh, no. Then the next one goes. You've spent the movie enjoying these characters and enjoying the ride. Now you're emotional. Now when they start going down, it hurts you a little bit. You know, yeah. Just like when Obi-Wan got struck down, those are movies that I like. Nothing wrong with plot-driven movies. Historical dramas come to mind. Yeah. But uh, sometimes they're done well. Sometimes they're done not as well. Yeah, the emotional part, that is a really interesting point that that you bring up. If you can get that emotional swell that comes with it, wherever you may drop a person into that story world, 
you can you can catch them up in it because they, there there is the emotional swell. I think the background and and having background pieces that are naturally fit into a story makes it really good. You can tell when you're watching a story just how naturally you are being slid into the world of that movie. If you are going into a person's everyday kind of life when when you when you drop into a movie and and you just sort of see their everyday, you start to pick up pieces as it goes along. You start to pick up pieces. I, I like movies that are like that where you're you're very much sliding into the world of that movie and the world of that that character within the movie and you're getting you're getting pieces. Like for instance, take uh take the Hobbit. Uh, I'll go back to the first Hobbit, an unexpected journey. You are very much getting fit into the world of Bilbo Baggins when you first slide into that movie. You know Bilbo Baggins, the character from the original Lord of the Rings movies, the first three. You you know what happens with his story there eventually. This is going back in time though, and you are you're stepping into Bilbo's world when you first start. This this very simple world that he lives in, this very structured world that he lives in, and then. Then in come the dwarves, and they they are marching off to to the the misty mountain, um, and and they and then suddenly his world is turned upside down because of that. You you're stepping into the world of the character, you're stepping into the world of the movie, and it, it's great to see movies that maybe do that a little more subtly, where you're learning about the story of the the character as you pick up pieces and go along. That's where having good actors who are able to really add in those nuanced items that that help add a little bit more to their story really helps i would say go adding to your point uh to boil it down i think to its most pure essence as to what you're saying being captured by a movie and there's a lot of things in a movie that can capture you or repel you which makes the the good versus bad movie whether it captures your imagination you know because bilbo baggins does not live in earth middle earth which is they never really describe exactly what Middle Earth is. Does it exist somewhere in, on Earth, but not really? Is right. it a fabled land? Is it yeah. an alien world? Is it just a fantasy land? Doesn't really matter. It's a world of imagination where dragons swoop and knights soar, and knights don't really soar in their armor, I bet you. But uh, <laughs> you get the idea: is that this is a world that is not like one that you're used to, but it grabs you and it captures you, and you're like, wow, that's really neat. Waterfalls that flow up, interesting. You know, it captures you, and so you do get brought along into it. Um, there's a lot of movies where it's also about just capturing your imagination in general, even if it's one that's set here on earth, but something that's a little off kilter, like uh, stranger things, even though it's not a movie, it's a Netflix show. It captures your imagination in a couple of ways. Cause a it's, it's psycho, it's not psychological, but it's um, a paranormal. It's got a lot of references and vibe and feel from what I would consider the most recent golden age of filmmaking, late 70s and into the 80s. It captures you. It brings you back, especially if you're from that. When it captures you and finds a way to bring you along, even if you are dropped into the middle of an alien atmosphere where everything is weird, there's something there that acts as your guide and will usher you through this land of something that is very non-familiar. It captures you. And you are drawn into it rather than feeling pushed into it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But Dave, how much do you think genre matters when it comes to how one person perceives a movie as compared to another? I, I think genre is huge in that way. Absolutely. I, I made a joke the other day. I think it was to you. I said, you ever go and just every once in a while look around the movie theater and see who's there and yeah. see what their reactions yeah. are? Go to an action movie, you know, the shoot 'em up blow em up car chases, explosions, you know. Go look around. You're going to look at other people in the theater. Go look at couples. Look at the guy. Yeah, yeah. 
then go look at the gal next to him. She's checking her phone, you know, most often. Now go to romantic comedy. Same thing, reversed. You got the girl, <laughs> you got the guy checking his phone, looking at, you're looking at the floor. You know, absolutely it does. And not every genre gets the respect. Uh, horror movies, for example, those are really hard to gauge on, say, critical response. Yeah. Because they're a love them or hate them genre. You either like horror movies or you really don't. I think you I think you could say that about just about any because there are action movies that are just plain dumb yeah. that are that are just that it's clear it's going to be a shoot 'em up kind of movie like you know think about the the 90s and the 80s with uh Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, these movies that are that are coming out just rolling out on a constant basis and it's clear they have one purpose we're gonna we're gonna blow a ton of stuff up. We're gonna have a lot of a lot of blood and and fighting, and it's going to be just for just for sheer entertainment for a specific type of audience that we're looking for. Rom coms very much the same way. Some of them are very very clever. Some of them are very very sweet and have some charm to them. Others, they're they're pretty superficial. Schlock. They they can be they they, they can be very superficial superficial. So. Really, every genre, you know, horror is a is a very good example of that too. But it also leads into what the topic of the show is: what makes a movie good or not good. I know a lot of gals that loved The Matrix, and The Matrix is one of those straight up action movies. However, when you really get into it, it's very much an example of what we were talking about. It captures you, it brings you along. Yeah. Because wait, wait we really exist in this alternate computer driven simulation? Really? What? We're all living in a pot of goo? What? It's bizarre. But it was such a layered, well-put-together, thought-out, deep movie, the first one, Yep. that it really brought you along. And I know You could say that each one regressed it. after, but yeah, yeah. Be, but that, that first one was so very well thought out that way. And, and one of those movies that you can go back and watch it again, and you're, you're going to get a lot out of it the second time and the third time, new things that you're picking up. Yeah, but even talking romantic comedies, there's one or two that I like. And here I am. I love. Yeah, me too. Definitely. I, yeah, straight up. I I like. Um, what? Yeah. What? What do you like out of that? Out of that genre, and why? One of them that we did uh, for the Sweetheart movie with Paul Bunyan Broadcasting does every year. It was one of the more popular ones we've ever done. Who doesn't like the Princess Bride? You know, yeah. there's something in there for everybody. Yep. Uh, we did one a few years back called Serendipity. I really like that movie. It's mm-hmm. it's about the possibilities of really no way. It's absolutely syrupy sweet, but it you know I, I will be unashamed to say I think that's a good movie. I like it. Yeah, there there are two that come to mind for me. I know that I know that Hitch can kind of Hitch like would it. fit under the rom com style. You know, you you bring together some good some good actors and actresses like that movie does. I mean, when you can get people like Will Smith, like Eva Mendes, like Kevin James, there's going to be a lot of humor that's that's laced in there, and yet there is a lot of emotional swell that comes with. A movie like that too, where that that's a very that's a big part of it. And they they get good backstories on the characters. They get some good reasoning behind their actions. Another one that I really liked, and I was very surprised at this, was Notting Hill. When I watched that on yeah. Netflix, when it was on there a while back, it was very very charming movie with with Hugh Grant and 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 uh, Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. Great movie. Yeah, really really nice job with the way they put that together. Just that. That um, you know, movie star and and just simple bookkeeper kind of thing, and yet it was still it was still really emotionally sweet with the way they put it together and just the simplicity of the characters and the humor, the dry, wry humor that they that they slid in there too with with it being set in in England like that. It was it, it just all came together really really nicely. But that's where 
the importance of nuance and layer to stories really helps because then, yeah, if you get the emotional side that comes with it as well, you're really piecing together something that can be pretty solid regardless of genre. You know, here's something else to think about. Not in every case, but there's a lot of times that not just genre, but movie types, but genre especially is designed to help elicit an emotional response. Yeah. So romantic comedies, clearly they're supposed to pull out those ooey-gooey feelings because they usually end on a high note. There's very rare is the example of the romantic comedy that does not end on the high note where the guy doesn't get the girl or vice versa. Um, but also horror movies, for example, they are elicited to try to pull out the sense of not dread or fear or panic, but more like uh, an adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. But not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes to ride the roller coaster. They don't want to feel that. Uh, there's a different kind of adrenaline rush when you go see an action movie versus a horror movie. Yeah. So not everybody likes that. But there are occasions in any genre or subgenre where, say, pull out, let's talk horror for just a second. Subgenres. You could talk about in this couple different, like the the hostile movies, the splatter porn subgenre is what they call it, or the 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 torture porn, you know, subgenre of horror. Most people don't generally don't like it, and I'm a horror movie fan. I don't really like those either. It's just Hitchcock had said there is a lot of there's a lot of anticipation and the bang of the gun going off, not the actual gun going off. It's the fear of it. But these yeah. movies, let's twist the guy's ankle, and you can hear every pop and twist. It's not about fear. It's not about a response emotionally as much as it is disgust. But then you get movies like, say, Shaun of the Dead, which is a legitimate horror movie. Right. But it's got a lot of humor in it as well, so there's a very fine line between that tickling of your funny bone and getting the same chilled response because of something spooky about it. It's a better ride that people more on a widespread basis are more inclined to take rather than a Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween. I'm glad you brought up Shaun of the Dead because it calls to mind another thing to keep in mind with what makes a movie good, and that is something that takes a genre and takes a whole new spin on it, or yeah. takes a movie and puts a whole new spin on it. Shaun of the Dead certainly is the kind of movie that does that, with taking the horror genre and putting a whole new twist on it. Another movie that I think of when I think of genre-bending or plot-bending or, or thought-bending kind of thinking was a movie that I was just watching the other day, and is one I, I've seen several times before, and that's Memento. Oh, uh, As movie. far as a movie that, that if it can take... What your typical idea of a genre is, in this case, a crime noir kind of movie, and it puts a completely new spin on it with the way that you look at it. In this case with Memento, the way the plot was layered with that that specific format that that they put together for that, and even just some of the the thought-provoking psychological thinking of that movie as well. One thing you should bring up quick, for not everyone has seen Memento, it's almost a cult hit rather than a mainstream it hit. It really is. It's about amnesia, and to give the audience the impression of amnesia to go through what the main character goes, where he cannot retain any memory longer than like a minute and a half, they show the movie in reverse, you know, backwards. So you see each scene played forward, but you have no idea what has just happened before because that will come later. So they show it backwards. Now, even if you watch the movie and they have, uh, depending on what CD or DVD you get, you can, you can, there's a selection, you can watch the movie chronologically. Even then, it's still not a bad movie because of where it ultimately gets to. That's right, yeah. And to watch it in that way, speaking of diving into the world of the movie, yeah. you're very much getting into the mind of the char- the main character, Leonard, in, in that movie. You're getting into his mind and what he has to deal with, with 
the way his his memory works and the bit the pieces the bits and pieces and trying to fit it all together and and slide that puzzle together it's it you think about genre bending type of movies that that take what you would typically think of when it comes to that genre and says we're going to put a different stamp on this. We're going to come up with a different way to look at that, especially in today's modern movies, which which I think are becoming progressively, especially mainstream, are becoming progressively more and more, I think, sometimes audience-driven and, and sometimes driven toward we, we need to target a certain group. It's great to see those movies that that will put a different twist on on a certain genre, and yet they still maintain those those ideas of characters, plot, layer, texture, all of the above, and yet then they say, now we're going to take the genre, we're going to flip it upside down here a little bit, or we're going to look at it from a different angle that has never been seen before. Yeah, and even beyond that, there are some that will blend the genres together. Shaun of the Dead did it, so it's a horror comedy. So you start describing a movie to somebody, well, what kind of movie is it? It's a type slash type slash type, or you have to come up with a whole new phrase like dramedy. You know, what is it, what, what's Forrest Gump? How would you describe that to somebody giving it a genre type? Can you? Dra- dramedy is a good one. Drama, comedy. It, it's kind of a, a bit of both. The comedy, I think, is laced in with the drama, though, which because I think the drama would be m- a little bit more of the dominant in that. But, yeah, it is hard to really put a specific genre on it. It's just an adventure. Was it a, was it a funny adventure? Well, it was. But, it, you know, my, my wife and I, just the other night, she'd never seen an American werewolf in London before. And I was it was on Netflix, like, let's check it out. I've seen it. You know, it's it's a good movie. It inspired the thriller video in a lot of ways, you know. Let's, let's check it out. It's a comedy. I, I don't want I said, it's it's like Shaun of the Dead, and then it's a legitimate horror movie, but it's not without its humor. I mean, it was yeah. John Landis and crew that had done Blues Brothers that same year. They had done Animal House the year before that. So it was clearly something putting it on its ear. It's a legit horror movie, but also done in a weird way that just it just leaves you with a different taste in your mouth. She ultimately thought, you know, it was it was okay, but it, I don't get what all the hype was about, and that's okay too. But I think ultimately she liked it. She was making comments that indicated as much. Yeah. You mentioned Hitchcock earlier. Yeah. I've been on a bit of a Hitchcock kick lately with some movies of his that I've been watching. Um, I actually just got, uh, I, I just bought uh, To Catch a Thief. Oh, I just got one. that. I, I like that one. It, it's very similar to North by Northwest in that. Hitchcock would would create those thriller movies, and yet they would be they would be laced with romance. They would be laced with adventure. They there would be a lot of a lot of travel trekking that in, that would be involved with them. And yet he there was very much that that thriller that thriller theme was very much at at the center of it and at the core of it. And yet with these these other pieces and bits that are that are laced in alongside of it, but. The way he combined the thriller and romance together, I think, was was something pretty captivating, especially in some of those '50s movies of his. Like with, um, I, I think about uh, Vertigo as yeah. well, along the same lines, where it is it, it's about the thriller, the thriller element, and in some cases, in a in a very dark sense with the oh, yeah. direction he would go with it. And yet there was there was also the romance that's fit in as well. And you think, well, things will work out okay in the end. You don't really know sometimes in some of those. It's got a dark ending to it, too. You know, and even Hitchcock himself, the way that his pendulum would swing. You know, this is a guy that was capable of giving you vertigo, which at the time was not a big hit. It was only later that it kind of was appreciated. And then you swing all the way where he probably delivered one of the first uh, Splatter movies, Psycho. That's right. You know, and they're very different movies delivered by the same guy. There's elements that are similar. 
there's similar themes. And maybe something right in the middle would be uh, Rear Window, which is one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. I love that movie. Um, it's He's just got such a skill about him to deliver it in such a way that he can do very subdued, like Vertigo, or much more in your shower face with Psycho. Mm-hmm. He really was the master of suspense. Good movies, bottom line, they, they really do depend on your taste. I think it's important to know what your taste is, though, and to then take a look at what you think a good movie really entails. And I, I think a lot of times we'll come back to some of those those basic ideas of does it have a good plot? Does it have good character development? Is it, it, is it maybe real in in a certain sense depending on the movie and yet not so real in a, in another sense depending on you know that you can get caught up in the story there's got to be, be that emotional pull for whatever part it is whether it's the the funny appeal to it that that creates that emotional pull or the the drama based pull of the emotional appeal that comes with it Do, does it do a good job of being able to really reach the the audience that way you know another good thing about what makes a good movie story of course is a huge huge part and i would say paramount to it but uh, does it have a good message to it? Sometimes yes, you take yeah. away from a movie a message. Take a look at the very first. I'm that kind of movie viewer. I want to take something away from this. Yeah. yeah. Rocky, the first one. What's the message of Rocky, really? Don't give up on your dreams. Here's a guy that was nobody that just got an opportunity to step up on a big stage, and he did it. Yeah. And, he, and at the end, he doesn't even win the match. You know, he doesn't really lose the match either, but he goes the distance and you don't, the title doesn't change place on the decision like that. So he loses ultimately really in the end, but he wins because he he was the underdog that never backed down and he won. And that's the message. Follow your dreams. And you can go from movie to movie to movie. Not all of them do, but you know, sometimes you walk away and maybe the plot isn't that great. Maybe the story isn't that great, but the message that's delivered really carries some weight. Thank goodness Apollo Creed had an ego. Yeah. Because then we got a, another movie out of it, and then more to come after that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe and another idea for uh, a message would be something that kind of uh, takes a complicated issue that really happened in real life and breaks yeah. it down to something easier to digest. Uh, you know, Just to look at newspapers for a minute, uh, Spotlight, one best picture a few years back. That's right, yep. All the President's Men about Watergate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very complicated story, and you wonder from things within our time, that just the last 10, 15 years go back to 9-11 and beyond. You know, Flight 93 is going to be another one of those. It's not that complicated an issue because it just keeps it onto the airplane, but it brings what something that really happened right to your front door, and you can't not be there for it. Yeah, I'll tie, it, I'll tie off that idea with this. Movies have the opportunity to be able to take stories like that, especially those historical stories, and we can look at them from a third-person kind of view with a very unique view on that historical event and in the way that it gets presented. Like, I think of all the President's Men, and one of the the vivid things that I remember from that movie was the typewriter and the power of just seeing the words flashing out on there as as it's writing out the story about Watergate and, and thinking about the sounds there in the newsroom. You have the ability to pull particular elements like that within a film, and you can really touch on them in a way that helps present your story in a unique way. And especially when it comes to historical items like that, you get a very unique way of being able to present them. Well, and people have said, well, that movie didn't age well. It's not supposed to age well. It's a flat, It's a snapshot in time. It's like going to the Old West. That's what the Old West was. This is the mid-70s. Watergate really busted open in 74, big time. Yep. But really what the story gets apart, even though if it you know puts characters together into one, 
and it's not exactly historically accurate. The absolute tone of it, and a lot of it is accurate, but it's to digest it quickly and to get you the point across as mm-hmm. to what actually happened and how. It was a small, nothing story where everybody's saying, it's nothing, but the more they dug, the more they dug, the higher they went, and Nixon became the first and only president to ever resign. Right. All right, Dave, let's, with all of this in mind, go into some of our worst and best, what we specifically think of as our worst and best. And I want to start with you. Just what? where do you tack on your three worst movies, and what are those movies? Yeah, let's start with the bads. Uh, I, I got two examples I can come up with. Rather than three, I'll give you two. Um, one is just a particular movie that is just straight up horrible in the same way that Plan 9 from Outer Space, which most people have always said is the worst movie ever made. I've never seen it. But I hear it's just one of those where every time you see something horrible, you can turn it into a drinking game and take a shot. But one I saw, uh, we had a horror movie night one night a long time ago, and everybody brought over a movie. And one gal brought over a movie because she thought it looked really cheesy and stupid, and she was darn right. It's called The Ice Cream Man. It stars Clint Howard, who some people might know. He's the brother of Ron Howard, the director. Oh, man. He's an ugly-looking guy. He's But every movie Ron Howard has ever made, he's in. He's got a small part at least. So he plays this demented ice cream man that goes around and kills the kids and turns them into ice cream. So the plot is pretty stupid. But even the way the movie's made, there's a shot where he's walking down the street and you could clearly see the shadows of the cameraman and the boom mic dips into the shot and it looks like something high schoolers One of those cheap B movies. Oh, it's just, it's so bad. It's groaning. I mean, to the point we didn't finish the movie. We got to a point. I mean, probably near the end, we're like, all right, we've seen enough. I don't even care what happens next movie. But it was one of those. It was just a horrible example. But I'll, but that's, but that being what it is, there are some movies that are out there that I would classify as bad movies, but I like them because for whatever reason, you know, they have to be entertaining. That's what makes a good movie is entertaining, and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, then there are some movies that what I would describe as are overcooked. Movies that got a lot of hype to them. They've got the Hollywood hype machine behind them. Usually they're sequels. Um, go, one that just came out, we're doing this podcast here in early April when we're recording it, Ghost in the Shell just came out with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Looks interesting, and I've heard some good things about it, but it did not fare well at the box office. Now, that does not necessarily mean it's going to be a bad movie. It just means people didn't go see it. Um, there's a lot of great movies that people didn't go see. But yeah. then there are some movies that are not good that a lot of people go and see. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which was the second one, by the way. It's one of the highest grossing movies of the year, but it is a bad, bad, bad movie. The first one was fun, so people went and saw the sequel, and with all the hype behind it, only then they found out after they'd paid their money, this is a horrible movie. Overcooked, overthought yeah. up. Spider-Man 3, let's throw everything against the wall and something might stick and we'll come up with a plot that's kind of... And we'll have a dancing Peter Parker in there as well, which is one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It's not without its moments of redemption, but I mean, you have people (laughs) laughing in their seats and not the way you necessarily want them to laugh. Like, this is stupid. And that's that's a bad thing. Movies that really have every yeah. opportunity to be good, but whether it's studio interference and they're changing things or they're re-editing the movie after the movie's been done, basically you take what could have been a good movie and it gets turned into something bad, yeah. or let's release it to release it. What about this, this, and that? Well, we'll figure that out later, but let's just get kids to do it. We'll get some toys tied in. and gra- Those, in my opinion, are bad movies. And I, asked, I think after seeing Spider-Man 3, 
I have just kind of decided I'm not going to those movies anymore. If I really don't think it looks that good or I don't want to see it, I'm not going to see it. Well, they're about to start a third reboot. So yeah. that, I mean, that says a lot, unfortunately. But it also says a lot about what about the, the actual production and, and just the changing of hands at, at the top levels when it comes to but that movies pro- like that and that a franchise pushes, like that. That pushes my point. The first uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was like 2002, something like that? It was around then, yeah. So we're talking 15 years that we've had, we had Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. Then they did The Amazing Spider-Man, which the first one was kind of a redo of the first one. Not completely, but close enough. Well, now they got the new uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Not so much a reboot. So it's a reboot, but not so much of a redo of the origin story again. But three rebooted versions of the same franchise within 15 years, clearly the studio has a cash cow. We need to push this and make money. Okay, we screwed it up. We'll do it again. This one will be better. At some point, you got to let it rest. Yeah. That's an example of what I'm talking. Not to say Spider-Man: Homecoming won't be good, but it's talking about the originality and the lack thereof that can make what could be a good movie not good. I'm a selective movie watcher, so having a three worst is is kind of hard for me yeah. to think about and to come up with because usually, if I'm watching a movie, unless you know when I was younger, if I would watch it with my family, and I wouldn't have much choice in the matter. I'm usually choosing what I'm going to watch, and I'm, I'm pretty selective on what I like to watch. Um, for me, I, I've seen this movie. Uh, I, I've seen just about all of it. I saw a, a version of it where it got dubbed over by a bunch of guys who made funny comments throughout the course of the movie as well. And was that was that was entertaining. No, it, it wasn't. I'm talking about Twilight, <laughs> and it was not good. It was not good. It, uh, I, I was not a fan at all. I, I mean, the characters were really, really bland. Um, I really could not tell if there was any emotional work going on at all from Kristen Stewart. It was, it was a tough watch in general. Um, yeah, not, not very good. Plot was, plot was bizarre. Um, I, I mean, I. I haven't read the books. I mean, people who have read the books, they would clearly think a different way. And I know those movies got a huge following that way. But I was like, this is a very, very tough watch as far as my own taste and my own personality. One that definitely stands out for me. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I, I think of – when I think of the Transformers movies, I think of the third one, Dark of the Moon. That was a very bizarre movie. Some of the, some of the characters – yeah, you're right. The second one – the second one we should have known. After watching the second one, it's like, okay, things are starting to turn a little bit here after the first one, which was was pretty cool, but it was like, uh, and then you go into the second one, it's like, okay, now we're starting to really drop here. And by the third one, it was just getting into into the, the realm of the bizarre. It was just, well, it was just I, a very strange movie. I'll give you another example. They, for one, they have another Transformers movie coming out this year. Yeah. There's another Pirates of the Caribbean movie coming out. Let me ask you this simple question. Has anybody really asked for these movies? I want to see more of Captain Jack Sparrow. No, but yet we're getting one. After on Stranger Tides really wasn't that great, and there wasn't much that was developed there. But these are movies that that have become franchises. I think this is going to be a topic for a future pod is talking about the right. modern day franchise. I, I think that could be a that's going to be a huge topic because I think that is a, a defining point of today's movies and it's kind of watering down the product in some ways these these modern day franchises that we're getting because you you can't really look anywhere especially when it comes to movie commercials and not see something that is built off of a previous movie these days some some are good some really don't work and then another movie that that comes to mind and 
I watched this one last year. It was it was so very disappointing because I felt with a couple of changes, it could have been so much better. And that was Batman versus Superman. Oh yeah, very very disappointed with that movie. I I left going. I really just saw that in theaters. Plus, like I said, there were some good redeemable points. You know, I, I, I loved the introduction of Wonder Woman. I thought that was great. I thought there were some elements of Superman's story that were very good. Some elements that were great, and yet they were ruined by these campy or very bizarre, strange pieces that were slid in as well. Zack Snyder, you do not get a third chance very often, but he's getting one here with yeah. doing Dawn, with doing um uh, the Justice League movie that's coming up. So... He better get this one right because Man of Steel was only okay, and then this was a flat-out dud, and now he's somehow getting another chance here, so he's got to get it right. But- well, another big, you know, just to add on, one of his sins was he was very betraying to some of those characters, and that, you know, Superman is not about being emo. He is, he should be colorful, upbeat, Superman. You know, nope, nope, he was all, I mean, basically we're going to make these two guys fight. Well, that would be awesome. The most convoluted possible way you could possibly ever imagine to get Batman and Superman to go at it. I could probably, in five minutes in the bathroom, come up with a better reason to get these two to go after I don't mind if DC wants to go that direction with their tone. It's just don't go to such a dark Dark extent. Yeah, Yeah, it's strange. It needs to be fun. Best movies. Let's get into the best. You know, I this is a hard one to do because uh, I'll give you three, but there's more than three. Yeah. But I'll just kind of give you across the board because what makes a movie good? You know, there's so many different things. And, um, you know, oh, we'll, we'll just go right to it. Uh, one of the movies that just absolutely captures me is one of the reasons I think that makes for a good movie. It absolutely brought me along on a thrill ride was the whole, and I consider them all three one movie. It was Back to the Future, all three of them. Um, whether one movie is better than another or not is irrelevant. I kind of look at it as one big story told in three parts, and it really is. It's a true trilogy. It absolutely captured me, and I'll give you one on the side here. Just uh, Thursday, this last week, driving through town, saw a DeLorean. I'm not even really? kidding. I so wanted to pull over and go you know, look at it and drool on it and touch it. And can I please sit? Third one I've ever seen in my life that wasn't behind rope at Universal Studios. <laughs> and I couldn't. I was so wrapped up. I was so crammed for time. I couldn't do it. And I got time later. I came back around to see if it was still there. Did it have no. a Minnesota plate on it? No, I didn't get a chance oh. to get close enough. It was like a dark maroon plate or whatever it was. But still, I would have gone over and just, here, 20 bucks. Y'all take 20. Can I sit in the car? Oh, that'd be awesome. So that movie just absolutely captured me. And when we got to that day and time, when I, when uh, October 21st, 2015 actually arrived. I remember it well. We had the party at the Casa de Brooks. You came over. Everyone came in costume. You were all martied up, and I went all doc. We had people that were there that had seen the movie 100 times, people that had never seen the movie, and everybody had a good time. It, oh, yeah. It was a fun triple feature. Oh, yeah. So it just, and that's a, an example about, it just, it's a popcorn movie in the best sense, and it just captured everybody. Yes. So loved it. Another good example would be Shawshank Redemption. Something kind of deep, something very layered. It's got a good twist at the end. Good choice. It's just, and it was one of those movies, it's a perfect example. When the movie came out, it did not do well at the box office. That's right. It came out in 95, and Shawshank, what? And it's actually based on a Stephen King short story, so I don't want to see a horror movie. It's not a horror movie. Nope. Stephen King doesn't write exclusively horror movies, mostly. That's what he's best known for. So it had everything, and a weird title, Shaw Shooby Wooby, what? You know, it had everything working against it. 
So, and finally, it showed on all the Turner networks over and over and over, kind of like a Christmas story, but it was a different thing. And people caught on to it, home video, and there was such a thing. It caught on, and now it's one of the biggest movies that it lost to Forrest Gump that year, I think, for Best Picture. And people are like, what? Shawshank didn't win Best Picture instead of Forrest What? Now it's a travesty because that movie is really caught on. I love when modern-day cult movies like that come about. So there's that. And then there's another one that's just a quirky it speaks to me kind of thing. And most people will be like, really? You think that's one of the best? No, you don't need to. But it speaks to me. Uh, L.A. Story. It's from early 1990, Steve Martin comedy. It's actually a retelling of a Shakespeare, uh, Midsummer's Night. No. I forget what it was when it is. Uh, I'm not completely as versed on my Shakespeare as I should be. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Midsummer's Night's Dream. Uh, but, it's a, but it's a modern retelling about the magic. That if you know how to look for it, you'll find it. And it's just, it's very quirky, it's a romantic comedy, it's a little different, it's a little surreal, but that's the point. It's supposed to take you on a little bit of a surreal journey, and it speaks to me on personal levels. To me, to the point when I, before I was married, it was required viewing for any gal that I was ever going to date. Okay. If they, if they can dig the movie on any level at all, then they're ready for this ride. Good deal. All right, I want to hear what, you got a, you got a much more expansive list than I do, though. I have created a top 50 list. 5-0. Yes. And I will get into some of my reasons more so in the future, but I had a, a good friend from college who was a film major who encouraged me to do that, to create a list that way. It was a very good idea because I enjoy then saying, where does it fit in? Where do these movies stack up and how do I differentiate between one and another? Are they Even, ranked or is it just 50 and they fall they, where they fall? They are ranked oh. and yet the degree of separation between each one is not much at all. I mean, that's just how much I love my movies. But my top five, I have a pretty ironclad top five that is in place. Although I, I broke my top two uh not too long ago when the second place movie came out, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Number five for me is Saving Private Ryan. Oh, it's it's movie. an incredible movie on so many levels. It it took you into the World War II experience in a very jarring way. And to, to be there on the beaches of Normandy to start the movie with that opening 20 minutes to half hour that they start with there in the movie, it just is extraordinary the way it drops you in and grips you that way and then when you get to know the characters in the platoon you get to know the the mission that they are on and what they are seeking to do um and and then the emotional swell at the end you know you talk about the emotional grip of a movie it it just was remarkable the way that it is able to do that and to take you into the horrors of war in the way that it does and yet the the very personal side that comes with war as well and what you are trying to accomplish um, at times within it. It was it was quite a movie that yeah. way. So big, big time top five movie for me. Spielberg's masterpiece, according to me. Yeah. Number four for me is, is Ocean's Eleven, uh, the yeah. 2001 version of Ocean's Eleven. It's such a fantastic movie to watch. My my family, that's one of our family's favorite movies because um, it's it's my favorite comedy style movie, um, and yet it's it's got a great a great story to it, a great concept. Um, it very much finds its own footing away from its predecessor from the 1960s with the Rat Pack. Oh yeah. Um, it they are two very distinct movies, and I like that. Um, the cast is just extraordinary, and they they bring out the best elements of each person. You know, they bring out the suave of of George Clooney. They bring out the the very subtle humor and and quips of Brad Pitt. They bring out they bring out another layer of Matt Damon that that 
goofy somewhat kid-like side of him in, in that movie they bring out the, and then these then they layer in all these other terrific actors as well they get a guy in andy garcia who very much fits the casino boss role really well and then when you bring in julia roberts like that it, it's just the the cherry on top because she she swings both sides really really well there in the story and the elements that they put into making the heist happen are great and then they build off of it with 12 and 13 very good movies in their own right but but 11 very much was the start of it and and then and then you add in elements like a like a great score i think the score of that movie is terrific too it's it's very vegas like and it it makes for such a very good movie that way and a, and a very comedic movie too now you know they're making a sequel to this don't they you? are i the, know they, the, the gal version that's right i'm very curious about that very very curious As, this is one of those we just talked about what makes a good movie and a bad movie it's got all the groundwork it's going to need to be a good movie will it be at this point yep hasn't been out yet we haven't seen it so we right. have no idea but it's very well could be Number three for me, and this one was hard for me to take out of the number two spot, but I had good reason for it, and that was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight yeah. is, is I think, the still the greatest comic book movie of all time for my, for my book. Um, I know Logan that just came out, many have, have put it in that category as, as Marvel's Dark Knight. I, I think they're very different movies, though. Logan is, is such a gritty movie for those who haven't gone to see it. It's such a gritty movie. The Dark Knight is gritty as far as an emotional side. And it was it was such a, speaking of a genre-flipping movie, this one flipped the comic book genre into something completely new and different. This was, it was, it, it was such a, it, it takes the Batman character and puts him on that pedestal and then knocks him off that pedestal in a way that had to be self-sacrificing. And it was so cool to... With, with Batman and with the way Christopher Nolan presented those movies, he presented Batman very much as the crime-fighting superhero that he is and with the sacrifices that come with being in such a position. And you see those sacrifices on full display for him, for Commissioner Gordon, for Harvey Dent. You see all of that in play. And to have a character like the Joker at his full and complete... Unhinged best. best. Unhinged best. Yeah, just doing doing things on his own whim. What if there is a character, in the words of Alfred, who just wants to watch the world burn? You see it in a very real way in that movie, and it's, it just it grips you in, in, in that way of, wow, there is no easy way to stop a guy like this or to solve a problem like this without something having to be given up. It's a great take on the superhero genre. The best compliment you can give that movie that I can think of is people that don't like comic book movies like this movie. Because yeah. as much as it is, it isn't a comic book movie. It's a crime-fighting movie it's in, a crime in, in movie, every yeah. sense, too. And, and the layers to, the, to that movie are, are terrific as well. Number two, and the reason I put this number two was that is the greatest in- theater movie experience i've ever had because i saw it in imax in 50 mil in 75 millimeter i know where you're going interstellar yeah. actually it was 70 millimeter yeah i saw it in imax 70 millimeter the the night that it came out and it was the greatest in theater movie experience i've ever had to be immersed in the space experience in that way was awesome and another christopher nolan movie he's my favorite director um he does such a great way of of Fitting together both story and an emotionally compelling story and also a lot of great thoughtful elements that come with the two on the science side, whether it's 
Memento and getting into the mind, Inception, another way of getting into the mind, or in this case, Interstellar and looking at space and and the science and the theory of black holes and and looking at them and and also relativity as well, uh, such a huge part of Interstellar too. And it it fits into the the emotional side of that movie in such a great way. And it's another one of those movies that you have to go back a couple of times to watch again and again to get everything pieced together in the right way. But I, I loved the space element, how he he made it, you know, very much. He made space movies these days. I think make space is just another common thing that you, you're just into. In Interstellar, space is very much a frontier. Yeah, it's its own thing. It's not Star Wars space. This is real yeah. theoretical. You know, it's hard to follow for the average person to tell you the truth. I don't know if any movie will ever unseat my number one favorite movie because it it is another one of those movies that speaks to me very much, much like your number one speaks to you. Lawrence of Arabia is, in my book, the greatest movie I've ever seen. I I own a special commemorative 50th anniversary pack of the movie, which has actually an original film strip from from the film that was cut. Um, so I, I love the movie. I, I love Peter O'Toole and, and the way that he presents Lawrence. Obviously, this is based on the real-life T.E. Oh, Lawrence, yeah. and yet this is its own story in some ways. But talk about a character that is multidimensional and has so many different allegiances that he has to deal with. In many ways, I, I think of... I can see parallels between myself and Lawrence of... Where do your allegiances lie sometimes in life, you know, to, to people, to, to, to what you're trying to do, uh, trying to do your own thing. And then, and the, the way that it, that it breaks Lawrence in some ways, trying to figure out who he is and where he fits in, in the world is diff is difficult. And then the characters around him and their interests and, and how Lawrence ties into them and all set against the backdrop of Arabia and the incredible scenery and setting and with a score that is in my book the greatest score that's been ever written for a movie that just grips you and captures you and takes you on a on an almost four hour ride that you you really don't mind being a part of because it is such a well put together movie and it leaves you with an incomplete ending that is so perfect for the character of Lawrence and is so perfect for the story that gets told and in my estimation, I don't see how any movie is ever going to knock it off that pedestal. Can you believe Peter O'Toole, not only just for that movie, but never won an Oscar that wasn't for a particular performance? I, I can't know. believe it. It, it. Really an amazing actor and, and quite a man, too. I, I was watching a, a TCM uh, interview with him not too long ago, and the way he speaks, you can tell he was a guy who came up in theater because he speaks in such a measured way, and as a storyteller, he is exceptional with the way he tells stories and the way he talks about how he worked with Sam Spiegel and David Lean on that movie, his interactions with Omar Sharif during the course of filming that movie, being out in the desert. I love reading and listening to commentary on the way they filmed that movie and then looking back on that movie because for me it is the epic of all epics and it's the movie that stands out for me above the rest because it takes these elements that we talked about of what makes a movie good or bad and it gets every bit of the good parts right you know the funny thing i noticed about your list granted it was only five of the 50 but they were all within the last 20 years and then you go way back to lawrence of i'm Arabia, a classics guy one. there you go i'm a classics guy i love them <laughs> Hey, what a nice uh, scratching of the iceberg that we have done here. This is going to be a podcast. Who knows how long it will go with it, but how much we just 
barely scratching the, the plaque off the tooth here. We've got a lot of elements we still need to get into and that we got to touch on a little bit within the course of this one. This is going to be fun to get to delve into thoughts of movie theory and thoughts of movies that are coming out now. Well, this is going to be great. We've launched it off. Rick and Nick can take it from here and then they ever show up again. Yeah. And do their own show. Maybe we get to come back and help out, but uh, this is going to be a fun one that I look forward to listening to. Yeah, hopefully Rick and Nick are back around next time because I think we did a pretty darn good job of kicking this thing off. Found that. Drop that mic. Pretty solid. Rick yeah. and Nick will be back uh, next time. This will be a franchise you won't mind getting caught up in over the course of many years, hopefully. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's been our pleasure as Dave and Hoove to fill in those size nines for at least one go-around. Make sure you check it out. PaulBunyanBroadcasting.com. Plenty of other good podcasts to check out as well. And Rick and Nick are going to be among that menagerie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. They will talk to you next time.